Uh, if you guys have a Bible, would you turn it uh, into Genesis chapter 18? Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, for those of you who knew. Um, Genesis 18, and we're going to be in verse uh, 16 today. Uh, we are continuing a series uh, that we have called As Numerous as the Stars. It is a study of the life of Abraham in, uh, in the Bible. And so um, we're going to kind of pick it up in sort of an awkward spot this morning. Last week, we uh, kind of entered a new section of Abraham's life, and chapter 18 and 19 are sort of like a cohesive story, but we've kind of broken it up. So uh, verses 1 to 15 was last week. And we looked at this uh, story of how Abraham is at his tent, um, which is encamped by a place called the, the Great Trees of Mamre, which I think sounds like a Tolkien book. It's kind of like a cool, cool name, the Great Trees of Mamre. And um, he, he's camping there. It's, pro- it's the middle of the day. It's the hottest point of the day. And you know he's probably like nodding off, you know, sleeping. And then all of a sudden, these three men show up at his tent. and. These men, as we find out pretty quickly, are not just ordinary men. They are some sort of representation of God, um, some sort of physical manifestation of his presence. And so um, they come and they have news for Sarah that she's actually going to have a child in her old age. Um, And you guys, if you remember the story last week, um, Sarah laughs at this news and um, Probably my favorite, my favorite part of the story is how it ends, because basically God comes up to her and is like, hey, you laughed. And she says, no, I didn't laugh. And the angel says, no, but you did laugh. And that's how that section ends. <laughs> it's just great. No, but you, you did laugh. So then verse 16, okay, is right after that. It's directly after that. So that's what we're going to look at today. Um, what we're going to be talking about today is sort of the scene's going to switch to Abraham and um, kind of his relationship with God. So we've titled the message, Knowing God. Uh, and we're going to look at how God knows us and makes his way known. So that's our first point. Second point we're going to look at is how God knows what is right and he makes his righteousness known. And thirdly, we're going to look at letting our prayers be known. So let's look at point number one. We're going to start in verse 16. God knows us and makes his way known. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. In Charles Dickens' uh, classic uh, book, The Tale of Two Cities, it opens with these lines. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You guys know? And then it goes on. It says, it was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was a spring of hope. It was a winter of despair. 
We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. That description is kind of fitting for our stories that we're looking at. Last week was the best of times. Sarah and Abraham promised child, you're going to be a great nation. So just think about how, what the author of this book is doing. He set that up, new nation coming, Abraham, great and mighty, chosen people. And then this week, the attention switches over to the valley down below where there's this town called Sodom. And the author is bringing our attention there. Yahweh, represented in these three men, say, hey, we're going to go down to Sodom. So they, they head out. Abraham, well, you know, he keep, continues to be uh, hospitable to them. He takes them out to see them on their way. And as they walk together, something quite unprecedented happens in the Bible. God talks to himself. He has an inner dialogue with himself. And there's probably a, a couple of things that could be happening here. Um, one is that uh, the two men that actually depart and leave, and we're going to see later, are actually called angels in chapter 19. And so it's possible that one of these three men is Yahweh, or God, the Lord, and the other two are angels that are part of his divine counsel. So it's possible that that, that third guy is talking openly with these two angels. But it's also possible that the three men together in some weird way represent God together. And that they're somehow like an Old Testament shadow of possibly the Trinity. And they're having a conversation with each other. But whatever's happening, it's, it's God talking to himself. That's kind of what's going on. It's quite strange. It's quite mysterious. But this is what's going on. And it, it shouldn't surprise us that much. I mean, it's a pretty human thing to do. Um, my son the other day came up to me and he was like, Daddy, this morning I was talking to myself in my mind. And I said to myself, why does my sister get to do everything fun? I was like, son, that's not true. That's not true. But I thought it was really funny. My nine-year-old son is like having this inner dialogue within himself. It's kind of cool. But this is, what's, this is what's going on. God is reasoning to himself. And later, he's obviously told this to Moses. And Moses has written this down. That he is thinking, hmm, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And when you see questions like that often in these narratives, the author wants you to kind of know the answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> he wants to show Abraham what he wants to do. He doesn't want to hide from Abraham what he's about to do. And we know that because very shortly he tells Abraham exactly what he is going to do. So he asks this question. He lets Abraham in on what he's going to do. The Lord gives his rationale for this, and he says, I've chosen him. I've chosen Abraham. And the Hebrew word there for chosen literally means known. I've known Abraham. He's the guy I'm going to use to grow a great nation, 
who will bless the whole world by teaching his children to keep the way of the Lord. So here's the logic. If Abraham has been chosen, he's been known by God in a personal way, and God has called him to pass on God's ways to his children, Abraham has to know what God's ways are. Abraham is in a relationship with God now. They are covenant partners, which means God is letting him in as a friend. Abraham is one of two people in the Old Testament who's called a friend of God. Doesn't mean there weren't others, but they're the only two that are called that explicitly. Moses and Abraham, friends of God. And a friend is the kind of person you don't hide things from. You tell your friends what's on your heart. You tell them what you really think. You tell them the secrets of your heart. And this is how God is treating Abraham. He's treating him as a friend. And you might be reading this thinking, well, you know, that's Abraham. Like, I wish I had that awesome privilege. But listen to what Jesus says to his disciples at his Last Supper. He says something very similar. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. John 15, 15. So when you're in a relationship with God through Christ, you and I are welcomed into the inner circle and given the secrets of the kingdom of God. A servant doesn't know what their master is doing, but through faith in Christ, we are no longer servants. We are friends with God. And so when, like, we come to church and we hear sermons, we study scripture, those are activities that we do today where we hear God's voice and we get to hear the inner secrets of what he's done in history, what he's doing now. But it doesn't just end there. There's more, there's more to it. I want you to catch this. Um, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were watching Netflix, and uh, there was this cool documentary that came on that looked really interesting. It was called Finding Vivian Meyer. It's a story of this uh, young photographer, filmmaker uh, guy who uh, he goes to an auction and he, um, he finds this case full of these negatives of like these old photographs. Nobody knows who's made these photographs, but he bids on them and he gets these photographs, all these negatives, and he starts developing them. And he realizes that, wow, the photography, there's literally thousands of pictures here is incredible photography. And it's uh, street photography. It's all these images of inner city Chicago, of like the inner, work, inner life of Chicago. And it's like incredibly beautiful stuff. And so they start, he starts putting it on display in different places, New York and London, and, and uh, celebrities come out to see this photography and they're just like, this is incredible stuff. So he gets curious. Like, who is this photographer? Who's behind this? And he begins to see a pattern of this woman figure in a lot of the photos. And so he does some research, and he, long story short, he eventually finds that there's this woman named Vivian Meyer, and she was a, just a nobody, a spinster nanny. 
And as she nannied her children and took them all over the city, she would take photographs of like brilliant photographs to the point that like it's a, a living history of the city of Chicago. It's like a, a treasure trove of stuff that people have discovered with her. And what's more interesting about her story is that as they go to talk to her friends, the kids that she nannied, none of them had any clue <laughs> that she was doing this. One of, her, one of her friends said, I can't believe she hid this from me all these years. I thought we were friends. Look, I think we can do the same thing with the treasures that God's given us. We can hide them and not share them with the world. God has known us. He's chosen us to be a blessing to the nations. That's what it says in the text. It says that Abraham may command his children, his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So God has made known a way of life to Abraham, but he's also commanded him to pass it along. And that's a question for us today is, are we doing that? And especially with the next generation. We passing along the faith to them. If you're a parent here, if you're a grandparent here, that's you know obvious application, but I want to go further than that. If you're a Christian here and you don't have a ministry to someone younger than yourself, get one. Find, find a way to build into somebody's life who's younger than you in the faith that you, who know Jesus for a long time, can pass some things on to them, can share Christ with them, can be a blessing to them. That's what we're called to do. All right, point number two. God knows what is right, and he makes his righteousness known. Let's look at verse 20. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom is great and the sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that I, has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and they went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. He's kind of getting in the way, like, okay, wait, what did you just say? <sighs> Abraham drew near and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? You ever been there? <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah, God's made his plans known. Okay, I'm looking in the Bible. And you read something or you encounter something in life that you're like, Lord, what are you doing? Okay, I get it. You've let me in on your plans. But what? I don't understand what, what you're saying to me. I don't know. I can't, I can't compute <laughs> what you just told me. 
And we wrestle with theological things, emotional realities. Abraham is in this spot as he hears this news, and he begins to talk to God about what he's seeing and feeling. Let's look a little closer at what's going on. The Lord tells Abraham his plan to visit Sodom. We come to understand the kind of place that Sodom is because God says there's a great outcry. And by great, he means many. There are many people crying out to God about Sodom. And when you first read that, it's like, well, the people aren't the people in Sodom that are crying out. It's the people who've been through Sodom, who've traveled through that place who've been victims of this town, of the people in this town. And as we read on in Genesis in the next chapter, we begin to see that there is sexual sin, homosexual sin. In Jude, he also makes that clear. Ezekiel 16, 49 adds more to that. It says the, the, the people of Sodom, their sin was pride, greed, and injustice to the poor and the needy. And so you can imagine this city has become well-known for its moral corruption, its injustice, its victimization, its lust. And so God says, I'm going to go down and see if this is the case. That's what he tells him. He's going to go investigate and find out if this is true. Now that, again, should be like, what? <laughs> That, that's strange. I thought God knows everything. Like, why is he talking like this? Why is he saying, I got to go down and check it out? Like, doesn't he know everything? And some people, they grab onto the story and they say, see, God doesn't know everything. He has limited knowledge. He has to go find out. Then he'll know. Is that what's happening in this story? Well, one of the questions we have to ask is, what are the biblical authors trying to communicate the Bible is both a divine and a human book. God inspired human authors to write, and they didn't just write in a robotic fashion. They wrote carefully. They crafted these incredible stories, and they're communicating in human language in a culture that is ancient to us. So what God is communicating and the human author is writing down is not that God has limited knowledge. They're trying to show that he's... He is, in fact, just in what he is doing. Just as God came down to see the Tower of Babel, he's going to come down to see the sin of Sodom for himself. So two of the men who are angels, but are also God somehow, they go down to investigate, lest anyone accuse God of being unjust. Oh, he didn't come check it out for himself. Yeah, he did. <laughs> God is doing his due diligence. He's exercising patience, even grace, and he's impartial. He's going to make a just judgment. He's going to look into the matter personally because he cares about the details. And so we should rest assured, even as we read this passage at the very beginning, we see, yes, he is acting justly. Despite Abraham's struggle, He's taking a measured approach to this. Abraham's question at the end even shows that Abraham does believe that God is righteous. He simply wants to hold God to that standard. So the reality is the judge of all the earth will do what is right. 
He will do what is right. And that should be a comfort to us because those things that we struggle with, we're like, well, what about this person? What about that person? Like, you know what? God will do what's right. He'll do what's fair. He's righteous. He'll do what is right. Because as the story goes on, guys, like, God comes down again, right? He comes down again in the form of his son, Jesus, at Christmas. And then he works justice by allowing the punishment to fall on himself on the cross. And he shows mercy to those who believe in him, and they're made right with God. They're made righteous. Justice, righteousness, perfectly displayed in Jesus on the cross. We have a suffering Savior who's taken the punishment for us. Yet Abraham is still struggling to understand, why would a righteous God allow righteous people to die because of what the wicked have done? That doesn't make sense. Just flat out doesn't make sense. But then this is where the story gets interesting. Because God, he almost purposely is throwing this at Abraham, and he's throwing him into this predicament, and he's inviting Abraham in to now wrestle with him a bit. God's plan is to save the righteous and destroy the wicked, but he wants Abraham now to work with him on this thing. So this is what's interesting. Let's get into point number three here, letting our prayers be known. Verse 26, the Lord said... If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it. He answered, for the sake of 40? He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there? He answered, I will not do it, even if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he finished speaking to Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. This is Middle Eastern bargaining. <laughs> right? What about this? What about this? Uh, I vividly remember um, being in Hawaii in 1999. It was the end of 1999, you know, when like everybody's freaking out about the millennium, right? The millennium's coming. So we were in Hawaii, me and my basketball team. It was basically just an excuse to go to Hawaii. We went into a tournament there, but it was like, yeah, we're in Hawaii. That was the cool part. So we went to Hawaii. We landed there. We got into the hotel, got settled in. Bunch of my friends start exploring, you know, different places. And so they come back to us that night and they're like, hey, you got to go check out the local market 
it's amazing. So we're like, okay. So we go down to this local market. It's a huge market where there's vendors all over the place. They're just selling like trinkets and souvenirs and cheap t-shirts and jewelry. And so my friends are all over this and they're just like, the cool part about it was you could bargain, right? You could go up to the vendor and you could be like, uh, yeah, is that $100? What if I gave you 50? Would you take 20? So some of my friends, they just start, like, they're like, hey, I could get some jewelry for my girlfriend for Christmas. So I'm going to talk this guy down. So like, I joined them and I watched in amazement as there's like $50 down to like 10. And I was like, wow, good job. So then I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. So I go, and I'm like, okay, how about, it's $50, how about 45 <laughs> And they're like, yeah, sure, okay. I'm like, what about 40 No, we're not doing 40 Okay, okay, I'll just buy it. <laughs> I just, not a good bargainer. I was not a good negotiator. It don't take me to go pick up a used car or something like that. I'm not going to do very well. Why didn't I do well? And why did my friends do so well? Because they were bargaining, they were pleading for someone that they cared about. Me, it was just me. So I didn't bargain very well. What's interesting in this exchange is Abraham is concerned. He's concerned. He's concerned about Lot. He's concerned even about Sodom. You notice that as this goes on, he wants the whole city to be spared. First, he cares just about the righteous, but then he, he's praying on behalf of everyone. He's concerned for them. And that is why he prays. This is the first instance where Abraham, we get, actually get a picture of him acting as an intercessor on behalf of others. This is God's call on his life, that he be a blessing to all nations. And this is him displaying that. He's interceding on behalf of Lot and his family, but also on behalf of the entire city. And again, we see a connection here to Jesus, who is our perfect intercessor. And Jesus, you can remember him weeping over Jerusalem and praying over Jerusalem. And he was even greater than Abraham because he went into Jerusalem and he died at the hands of those sinful people. Abraham then is a type of Christ. He foreshadows Jesus. And now we're united to Christ and we are now called to be intercessors, a blessing to those around us. That's our call, to pray. But we'll never pray if we don't first have concern. When we look around at people with compassion, then we'll pray. We'll pray for them. We're called to care, to be concerned. And there's a number of other things in this prayer that I just want to point out as we close here that I just think are very helpful for our prayer life as well. Three, three quick more things. So praying with concern, praying with compassion, that's one. A second one would be our prayers ought to be humble. Humble. Notice how Abraham recognizes in the prayer. He says, I'm but dust and ashes. I be, he keeps saying, okay, Lord, don't be angry. Like, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's humble. 
He knows who he's talking to. And I think sometimes we, you know, we kind of toss up these lame prayers, right? Because we're just like not really remembering who we're talking to. We really believe it's God Almighty that changed the way that we approach him. We walk in slowly with some sense of reverence. Okay, Lord, I know who I'm talking to. Another thing, our prayers, though, ought to be bold and honest. We could use the word authentic. It's on our banners around here, right? Authentic followers of Jesus. This maybe will balance what I just said. Because I think there's a, there's a sense in which we could hear, you know, be respectful, be humble, but we could kind of twist that into like a false piety where we kind of pray in these and thous. You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought I had to talk in the King James language when I talked to God, right? Like, oh, Lord, thou art my God. You know, like I was, I was praying in this kind of like language. It wasn't my language. Like it wasn't, it wasn't genuine. It wasn't honest. It wasn't bold where I was really giving in my heart. And I think sometimes we can be too respectful. Does that make sense? <laughs> too respectful. And it's more like a false piety where we're not really being honest with him about what we're struggling with. And you see Abraham here, he's like, far be it from you to do that. He's kind of taking God to task. God, you say you're this. I, I, I don't get this. He's being honest about what he struggles with. And I think that's a challenge for us as well. Lastly, our prayers ought to be persevering. We see how Abraham continues to ask and ask and ask again. And notice how obliged God is to give him exactly what he wants. Yeah, I'll do it for 30. Yeah, I'll do it for 20. Do we ask? Do we ask and ask and ask? God's heart is warm toward us. He is our Father who longs to hear what we have to ask him. And so I want to close today by asking him together. Think of someone in your life that you want to intercede for, someone that you're concerned for, someone maybe who's rejected God, someone who's in a difficult circumstance, that you want to pray for. I want you to think of that person and, and then let's just pray together and we'll close. I invite the worship team to come on up. Let's pray. Uh, Father, could it really be that you are not only present here, Lord, but that you long to hear what we have to say to you. Father, there are lots of things on our minds and there are lots of things, Lord, that we, we struggle with. And so, Father, we want to pray for these people in our lives that don't know you, Lord. Uh, these people in our lives, Lord, who are in a difficult situation right now, Lord, we, 
we can see their faces, Lord, and we pray that, God, would you, would you be merciful to them? Or would you show your love to them? Would you save them? Would you help them? And Lord, help us to remember to keep asking. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.